Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Tonight, my special guest is Nikki Tolk. Her new book from Driftwood Press is titled All. In this book, Nikki explores the aftermath of sexual assault, revealing profound truths around myths and folklore. <laughs> Nikki, let's talk. Let's talk, Nikki. Revealing profound truths about the stories we craft around violence, womanhood, and justice. I got it out. That's a lot, Nikki. You got it out. Yeah, it is. I got it out. That's yeah, a lot. It is. You do better than me. (laughs) (laughs) All all serious topics. But Nikki and I had an opportunity to talk a couple of minutes prior to the show, and she made me laugh, good people. So you know how I am. You know I love to laugh. So (laughs) that's just part of my journey. All right. All right. Are you ready, Nikki? I am. I am so ready. Thank you. So much right. for me on. Oh my goodness. Oh. oh, I'm so happy. I don't know why I'm happy, but I'm already happy. All right, here we go. Here we go. What is poetry to you, Nikki? Oh. oh, to me, poetry is the way I think I make sense of the world. And also, mm-hmm. I guess it's the way I commune with my imagination and the imagination of the world around me. I feel like it's um, kind of this two-way radio, you know, you kind of feel mm. stuff, you experience stuff, and then it has to come out, and then that coming out not just self-expression, it's a reaching out to the world really generally or speaking back to that imaginal stuff that got you inspired in the first place. It, it feels like a loop um, for me, and I just love it. I love the creation of it, and I love the crafting and the editing of it. They use different parts of me, but I really love the tinkering. So I'll spend a lot of time on that part of writing as well. But, yeah, I just – and I love other people's poetry. I love how mm-hmm. every poet has this completely different voice and way of seeing the world. But every time I hear someone read or I read someone's work, it's a whole – it's a portal mm. into something else. So I find it, it's, it's kind of the one thing at the moment that gives me faith in humanity. Um, yes. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, it is beautiful. I want to know more about that loop that you just mentioned. Tell me more about that loop. Oh, the loop. Man, the loop. Yes. Okay. Oh, it's, it's that relationship with what create what inspires me with the art which is all around me mm-hmm. and also inside me and then when I like respond to that and put those words out there or I do performance if I put that performance out there 
and then it lands with other people's imagination and then it kind mm-hmm. of comes back to me and there's some kind of I don't know collective midwifery that happens it's kind of we're all part mm. of that creation of a piece of imaginative life that happens I, I get really off mm-hmm. on this kind of stuff because I feel there's there's something really important to our interconnection as people and I, I see it as like mm-hmm. a, I don't know it sounds really kind of hippie here but some kind of energy loop you know this okay. imagination loop yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. That's okay. That's why we're here, to talk and share and for me to learn new things. So thank you for sharing. Now, we've talked about what is poetry. Why do you think mm-hmm. it's important, Nikki? Why is it important? Oh, well, I'm going to – I do research into trauma and trauma studies. It's another part of my life as a scholar and things um, as well. And I've dived into – Bessel van der Kolk's work a lot, his book, The Body Mm -hmm. Keeps the Score, and a lot of his work. And he talks about trauma being essentially something that narrows our imaginative field. So we can no longer imagine multiple possibilities to things. And he he uses the roundabout answer to your question, but he uses the example of, you know, someone if you've been attacked, right, and someone comes up and puts a hand Mm -hmm. on your shoulder, that your imagination will only give you one option. I'm about to get attacked again. And he talks about healing from trauma as being expanding out the imagination. And he says in all the treatments that you can bring, anything that's going to expand the imagination and feed the imagination is going to help people heal because then they Mm -hmm. can have other possibilities. Maybe that was an old friend. Maybe it's a person falling and is holding onto you for strength. Maybe like all these other options that the mind can throw up again. So I feel like the importance of poetry, for me anyway, is that it feeds the imagination of the people who make it, the people who enjoy it, that it feeds this part of us that needs to be able to see things as potentially different than what they are Mm -hmm. and to open up new ways of being in the world and thinking about being in the world. Yes. So I feel like poetry is a part of that. (laughs) Well, for whatever reason, uh, that's fascinating to me. That's fascinating to me. That's wonderful. It really, really is. I I like what you share. (laughs) Mm. You know, I want to know about oh. And before I, when I flubbed the, the opening, <laughs> I was reading too fast. <laughs> Nikki unearths myths and folklore, revealing profound truths about the stories we crafted of again, violence, womanhood, and justice. That's so much. Let's talk about oh, Tell me everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. It is so much. And part of the the idea of the O or the circle, and there's a poem mm-hmm. about that at, that starts off the book, is it's an infinite loop. It's it's so many things. It's It can be zero or nothing, and it can also be mm-hmm. infinity. And there's something about that shape as well as that letter that has these endless um endless sort of symbols and images that it can lead into. So you're right, it is, mm-hmm. it's too much and it's so much. And so I guess um, the, the book is looking at 
sexual assault and the survival from it through largely the mm-hmm. eyes of a mother to a daughter. Mm-hmm. And it does so in several sections. So the first section is, is big O and it's about Ophelia. So it's riffing off Ophelia. It's not kind of about her, but it's taking this image of this young woman who is always and forever I meant to spend it between two banks in the water drowning because some guy screwed her over, right? Hamlet. So right. she's there yes. Yes. forever and mm-hmm. she's this weird construct too of what we imagine a traumatized woman to be like and what madness mm-hmm. is like. There's so much in it. So I did a lot of work around that. So that's one section. And then there's a section um, called Little O, which explores more specifically, I guess, the story of the, the daughter. And mm-hmm. then there's a bunch of fables which follow a kind of a similar feeling, but they're set. It's about an owl who marries a baker and they have a daughter born to them who has talons instead of feet and a few feathers. And it's about wow. her. She can't fit in and she's, you know, and the owl mother rescues her at the end when she tries to drown herself. And um, so a lot of it's about, I don't know, I suppose themes that rose up were themes of connection and disconnection, of how difficult it is for women, especially Mm. girls, to be believed, um, what the system is like around issues Mm. of injustice, especially when it comes to, you know, people who are not... A male or white or whatever, you know, all the kind of spaces and places that are really oppressed in our society. Yes. So it's yes, it's a really angry book in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. there's also I hope a lot of beauty in it too, because inside that there are the moments of joy and tenderness and connection, and I hope at the end ultimately kind of a, a sense of hope or healing through the reestablishment of relationships. So now. Well, yeah. when you're writing, who mm-hmm. are you having a conversation with? Oh, yeah, that's – wow, that's such a good question. I think now that I was having a conversation with different parts of myself as I was writing it because the, the book okay. came out of um, a solo performance. So I did a solo show, which I took around, um, that I realized was about – sexual assault I thought I was making it about Ophelia and I realized oh there's a lot more going on in this than I thought Mm. and I decided to to take some of the writing from the solo show and riff off it and start to write so I began with writing about Ophelia and then it opened up and opened up and opened up and turned into the manuscript that it is so it it came out of um, physicalizing sort of and conceptualizing around the idea of the young female that's constructed in a particular way and trying to unpack that and hmm. ask questions about how we, why, you know, why we systemically create these very stereotypical little pictures of what suffering should look like, who suffers and what that, how they should respond. And certainly like, you know, once you start bringing in the judicial system, you know, like there are mm-hmm. ways that you are supposed to exhibit and present as traumatized for your story to be listened to and if you don't present in those ways then you are seen as making it up or not to be believed um and this obviously happens across racial and gender lines 
all over the place. This isn't, you know, really just <laughs> just about sexual assault, but yeah. Well, you know, the word trauma can be defined so many different ways. I mean, people yeah. look at it, yeah. they just look at it differently. How does, tell mm-hmm. me more about trauma in your definition mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, sure. So the the way trauma, I think, I subscribe to how a lot of neurobiologists are talking about it now, which is um, essentially it's when our nervous system, so we every bit of stimuli around us, we absorb into our brainstem, <laughs> which is the oldest part of our brain. So everything comes first through the body, if you like. Temperature, mood, emotion, everything comes through there. And then it comes up through what we call the insula, which is a part of the brain, the amygdala, another part that where you become aware that you're feeling something. And then that mm-hmm. group of bits of your brain pass it on up to the prefrontal cortex where you hope that part of the brain makes meaning and context out of what you're going through. So that's the way that bad things happening should be processed. You feel it, you become aware that you're feeling something, and then your prefrontal cortex goes, oh, this is the context for it and integrates it. So that's how we're kind of designed to work. And when something's traumatic, what it means is we get so much stimuli coming in that it overruns that first level of the nervous system and it just shuts down. It just, everything else goes offline. And all those feelings stay kind of locked in that part of the brain, in the limbic system, and our bodies hold it. And it never goes up through these other bits that would help us process what happened. And that's not a fault yes. of the brain. It's just, it's like you fill up a bath and if you keep that tap running, it doesn't matter how good your bath is, that water is going to go over the edge and flood everywhere. And that's not the bath's fault. It's just got mm-hmm. too much water going into it. And it's like that. So that can be anything. That's relative, right? That can be development. It was a child's growing up. They don't get picked up when they cry enough and so they go oh I'm not safe you know it can be that it can be you know what we call the big T traumas you know rape war um, you know all that kind of thing too but I think the definition is very broad and it's there's no hierarchy in a sense because every person's nervous system can handle a certain amount so when your nervous system is overwhelmed in that way and your brain can't process it because it was too much, too fast, then Mm -hmm. that's when trauma can kick in, unless that person gets a lot of help afterwards to process that. But that's generally how it works. So it's very very in-the-body trauma. And um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's – I explore a lot of that in the book. And I think the – yeah, so I think that would be my – there you go. You get the scholarly definition because <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> it sounded fantastic. I mean, I was I was hanging on every word. <laughs> to be honest, oh, I really was. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, oh, I want to take a class from her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, Nikki, oh. please share a poem. Please share a poem. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so this is. All right, so I will start with the first part. There's some fables at the very start. And so this is kicks off part one, which is a fable. So that's where we start. So I thought I mm-hmm. could read that one. 
A weary traveller came to an inn and, on finding it full, climbed up a tree. Before long, a bird came to her and promised her the whole sky for breakfast if she would only exchange her human feet for the bird's wings. It was a business transaction, pure and simple. The woman pondered, and as she pondered, she noticed the tree felt strong, the leaves felt like fur, the traveller had never felt so safe, the world beneath like a river. She said yes. The bird left. A storm came and enveloped her. The traveller fell into a deep sleep. The next evening she awoke and the air was calm, arms were feathered, resting beneath her pelvis, two claws. The end. Wow. That's how it opens. That's how it opens. Yeah, to a different world. Well, would you do me a favor? Read that again. I'd love to hear. I want to hear it again. I want to soak it in. Read it again for me, please. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. A weary traveler came to an inn and, on finding it full, climbed up a tree. Before long, a bird came to her and promised her the whole sky for breakfast if she would only exchange her human feet for the bird's wings. It was a business transaction, pure and simple. The woman pondered, and as she pondered, she noticed the tree felt strong, the leaves felt like fur, the traveller had never felt so safe, the world beneath like a river. She said yes. The bird left, a storm came and enveloped her. The traveller fell into a deep sleep. The next evening she awoke and the air was calm. Her arms were feathered, resting beneath her pelvis, two claws. Mm. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, you sound like something audible, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're listening oh, to a, a book. <laughs> Perfect, perfect, perfect. What? What is the? I mean, you really, really, you're great. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Oh, intimate, absolutely intimate. I think when I'm writing, I'm, I'm moving it. I'm speaking. It feels like the breath comes, and I can feel the music of the words. Mm -hmm and where it needs to go mm. and because some of it that piece actually was in the solo show too so it came out of um, riffing and moving in the studio and developing that way and then the other bits that were written at a desk or on my bed or wherever I wrote them still carried that like I feel it in my body they're very connected so and I mm. also really love reading aloud like something I go into this <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. Oh. <laughs> well, let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in your okay. past, what was an what? early experience where you learned that mm-hmm. poetry had power? Where did you learn it had power? Oh, you asked the best questions. <laughs> That's oh. why they pay me the big bucks, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I love the editing, but I can get too um, slash and burn with things. So I had to kind of yes. do a little bit and then give it a give it some space and then do it again so mm-hmm. that I didn't um, and then keep reading it aloud. And then I'd take stuff mm-hmm. to the studio and I'd I'd move it just so I I wasn't letting that um, just one part of me you know edit it. Mm-hmm. I thought it's still gonna work for the voice and it's still gonna work for these things. So um, it, yeah, it took a it took a while. And I still get obsessed with the letter O. Like, I don't think I'm quite finished with the letter O yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, let's take a brief yeah. break, and we'll be right back. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the incredible Nikki Tolk. Nikki, <laughs> all, <laughs> all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours mm-hmm. and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh, okay. Oh, so many. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think Janet Frame is a big one for me in New Zealand. Writer who Jane Campion made a really cool film about her, but she was um, in a mental asylum wrongly died eight years and then was allowed out. Yeah, the day before she was going to have a lobotomy, her work won this major award and she thought she was going to lose her brain and then she got this award and they let her out and then she travelled the world and became this really amazing author. Oh, her story is unbelievable. And she's just a wonderful writer and I think I've learned so much from her phrasing and from because she'd been seen as mad and been cooped up in this like 1950s asylum for so long her language sort of was very poor it seemed to kind of move between these realms of what the world might call sane and what the world might call mad you know and she kind of very ironically moved between these ways of um writing and she has this great quote I actually wrote down because I love it so much all writers are exiles wherever they live and their work is a lifelong journey towards the lost land. Oh, wow. That's truly Yeah, right? <laughs> Isn't it? I know. I have it on my email signature. I can't get enough of it. So if I email you enough, you're going to see this quote a whole lot of times. Okay. All right. I want you to email me too. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Oh, anybody else? Cecilia anybody Vicuña? else? Anybody yeah. else that was a favorite? That's uh-huh. a favorite. Cecilia Vicuña, who's a Chilean, mm-hmm. um, an indigenous Andean poet, um, who does incredible spoken word stuff, where she moves into kind of chanting and and she does a lot of ecological um, and gender gender based violence sort of healing with her words. Um, Joy Hayo, the 
um, Poet Laureate, June Jordan, I love her stuff. Mm-hmm. Galway mm-hmm. Cannell, Book of Nightmares, just incredible. Oh, there's there's so many. But I think uh, probably from a range, I think um, I love the urgency of June Jordan's work and the, mm-hmm. it just, all her poems feel like they come straight out of the solar plexus, you know, just like boom. Mm-hmm. They're so raw, but they're so well-crafted and there's a mm-hmm. kind of a disciplined urgency in her work that mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And Cecilia Vicuña's stuff is just so magical and it's very fable-ish and she moves from legends and she sort of half sings her work and as she performs she winds people around with unspun wool because in her culture unspun wool was what the cosmos was woven from so she weaves people together and she does cool stuff like she weaves the sides of roads together and sides of rivers together in symbolic actions of weaving healing communities um Mm -hmm. really amazing so yeah, all those wow. things, huge influences. <laughs> I, I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Share another poem. Share another poem. Yes, I would love to. Okay, so this is the next section, um, which is the big O, which is so kind of going chronologically through the, the book. O knows that the sheets are clean only when you beat them on rocks. She watches the women slay laundry by the river. The women sing as they work. Bury him, bury him, low in the ground where the worms will eat his hands and his fingernails will stop growing. Excavation is not a crime. Crime is not excavation. Who laid him in the cold earth? Will they also lay her? Oh, thinks of their questions. Their questions think her. How many times, here is O's question, can you tell one story and each time that story gets whiter until there is no stain? There is no stain, no proof, no evidence. In her mind, O crushes cloth against stone again, again, again. The end. As you think about your body of work, your poems, has Mm -hmm. a poem that you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Oh, I think they've all frightened me. (laughs) Once a pretty, you know, funny, happy, jokey person, and I love laughing. I picked it up. Yeah, yeah, and and then I write this work, and it's so sad and sometimes really savage and really angry and sometimes that but I was really nervous with this book coming out into the world because I'm like oh wow it's really you know sharp and there's a lot of anger in it and a lot of pain in it and um and then the caretaker in me goes I don't want to launch that on the world you know it's mm. a laugh but um mm-hmm. it's so I think all the poems in this book I think I think um little think of another one that I might have done oh yes I wrote a couple of poems when we first moved to the states I lived in Athens Georgia and okay did you now that, oh I all right. sure did I sure did and <laughs> that was a big shock to the system because um, I'm sure oh 
yeah, so many levels. And mm-hmm. one of the things we got taught in Australia is that after Martin Luther King Jr., everything got fixed. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, wow. So there was wow. just so much, um, I think, the racism that I found. The, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of beauty and storytelling and stuff as well, but I was really shocked at many, many levels of injustice um, that I didn't expect to see. And that okay. got me really whew, pretty turned up. And also seeing connections between things about Georgia and Australia and Australia's treatment of Indigenous folks um, mm-hmm. and ongoing mistreatment of Indigenous folks that really got me thinking of what I had just not noticed because where I was, I knew one Koori person and right. they looked almost like me. And I hadn't had to, through my own privilege as a white person in Australia, mm-hmm. had to like bump up against this stuff. It's also different mm-hmm. too. Racism looks very different in Australia than it does in Athens, Georgia. And mm-hmm. I think that really shocked me a lot. And so the poetry that I wrote two poems that came out of that that are that was the first time I think I'd written anything really savage, like savage about mm-hmm. my own country, well, about we, what I was seeing with Georgia we, and myself. So Would you read would you read them? I mean I'm waiting with bated oh. breath. I want to, I want to hear them. Oh yes, let me find it. It's they're kind of, you know, they're out there. And, um, well, I'm going to say this really quickly, too. I really appreciate your honesty. I really do. It's refreshing. Oh. It really is. Oh, I need to share so that from cool. the heart. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really... Thank you. That really means something to me. I'm trying to find this. Where is it? Oh. I'm just trying to find... That's all right. That's all right. Where it is. Ah, here we go. All right. Just need to find which... Georgia Prayer, and I think it ended up getting published in the Rock River Review, this Mm -hmm. one. Um, All right, so apologies to any Georgians out there, but I did love a lot about Georgia too. So, Okay, this one's called Georgia Prayer. Again, I drove too far in the wet heat, past a burning car, flames, hot gold, against black Chevy, down Highway 316, straight as a judge's spine from Athens to Atlanta. Oh, the fierce transients of a red-rimmed road, chicken trucks and pickups, shoulders trimmed with dead raccoon, armadillo, hulk of brown deer, fast food carrion. The peanut lady, teeth all crooked, calls her wares. Hot boiled, stop once, honey, stop by again. On the 316, Baptist billboards point the way. Turn right at Lou's Soul Food and Fried Chicken, left at McDonald's and only 200 feet to being saved. Others shake their snake language down on the railway tracks on Sundays, forearms shiny. 
On God's own highway, obese billboards block blue sky. Direct cremation, why wait? And hear, and hear, and hail you benevolent billboards, the service you deserve, and being used never felt so good. While in their scaffold shadow, a wilted man clasps cardboard, will work for food, left leg trembling, eyelids mute slits pressed tight by the white sun, being used never felt so good. Sun so sick in May through September, heat congeals your skin, turns sold, soft like grit, slow and gold. Oh, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia on my mind. And the brown folk fix the red-rimmed roads, mow your lawns and clean your house, the service you deserve. The black folks we don't mention because we don't see colour now. For God so mm. loved the world. I drove too far in the wet heat again, driving past a burning car, flames hot gold against black Chevy. Cool green Georgia pines beat silent dark fists where the fire ants crawl, immune to the fevered dust. The end. (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) okay am i ready for the next one please (laughs) i'm glad i'm sitting down i was was scared when i wrote that one oh Oh, wow yeah i that Mm -hmm. one um that one scared me that one it was um Mm -hmm. and a lot of that was just collected like the billboards were ones I drove past and the black Chevy was something I saw on the 316 highway which I couldn't get over that the mm-hmm. highway was called the 316 you know for God so love the world mm-hmm. yes. and there was this black Chevy on fire it was not an unusual wow. sight on that highway and it wow. was just there burning with no one around and I felt like I mean one of the things I loved about Georgia was I felt like it was so steeped in story like Mm-hmm. I mean, in the other poem I I wrote, you know, that when it rains, the roads run red. You know, it was like all the now blood you, of these. Oof. Anyway, yeah. Now, you, you're going <laughs> to read it, right? You can't stop there. Read that other poem. Oh, I can't stop there. I'll go read the other one. Okay, let me find it where it is. <laughs> <laughs> read that other poem. Um, that other poem. Okay, Red Clay. All right. This one's called, I'm actually, am I a cynical person? I don't think I am. I just still think. Okay, this one's called Red Clay, A Song for the South. <laughs> Very grandiose. All right. Like, well, there we go. <laughs> from the Antipodes, from black firm earth, from unending miles of Australian sky, I landed to find red roads like the land was rusted over or mad was going to get even with you one way or another, stranded here with a broken promise. Would a new life leak out? I walked and witnessed, scratched, pocked, humped, rippled veins, these roads on George's troubled skin, where the blood sings Tara, 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 as the old book goes, gone with that sweet magnolia wind. I read that book. I smell that wind, sweet and low and a hiss in its breath. I inhale. I have no choice. Red dirt, red. I am far from hell, black volcanic soil, mired in dog dirt, Athens red clay. 
at crossroads, starved white spires point harsh fingers, scratch blue sky under their nails. Are you redeemed? On white oak winter branches, cardinals, finger prick red, their flushed plumes spatter the quiet trees. Red, white, red, white, oak. In another hemisphere, the iron bark survives and thickens. Fiddle dee dee. She slants her green eyes, that old South biding her time, antebellum pride. The tour guide murmurs in Madison, the cob house, those old fine plantations. Servants, they had servants. But those servants slept 13 to an attic, baked in the heat, close, long, strong heat, like where I'm from, but wet too. It can drown a man, even in an attic. I ask, but another visitor enters, and she can now turn away. Red, that flag on Chevy bumpers, bloated T-shirts and white walls, peeling, red coats, rednecks, turncoats. The South will rise again. So hang that slash diagonal sheet, branded with dagger stars. On the porch, chained chairs sway. Listen, that sweet low wind, Lady Day sings. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar tree. Start at the root of Ford Bridge, 1946. One black man every 40 days, Georgia, from 1882 to 1930, every 40 days. That's what I read. And Georgia, listen. For in my country, the white man poisoned the wealth, arsenic in the flour, strychnine in the Christmas pudding. One black man every 40 days under unending sky. Are you redeemed? Here on the porches, Sunset peaches suck their warm flailed skin. Boiled peaches, pie, cobbler, homemade ice cream. Sweet, oh, summertime, it's easy living under the rich dark night. Those dagger stars shining as tree frogs sing, cling to the white oak skin, red skin, redneck, flailed skin. Ghosts wander red rose under the vellum moon and the haunted sun, red, black, red. In quiet graves nobody speaks of now. Only perhaps a hushed gesture. Down the road a ways you can find them there beneath the pines. Ghosts shudder the dirt. Graves blister the red clay. Are you redeemed? Strange fruit simmers under white gold moon. Corn and cotton moon. So sultry she strokes before she bites. Are you redeemed? Stranded here with a broken promise. My sky cast me to where I cannot scratch my initials, an arrow into the red clay. My fingernails still darken with volcanic soil. The yellow moon, the pine winds, resined hiss. You're not from these parts. Bless, bless, bless your heart. Your red beating heart. The end. <laughs> you in, you included bless your heart. Oh my God! <laughs> I had a conversation last night with someone about the meaning of bless your heart and the connotation around it. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> bless your heart. That was absolutely brilliant. 
Let me oh. ask you a question, Nikki. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is the role? Listen, Nikki. What is the role of a poet in modern day society? Ooh. I, I don't know. Okay, everyone's got a different idea on this. I kind of feel like we have to speak what we see. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it was mm-hmm. Naomi Shahid Nye said, I saw what I saw and it looked like this. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's what it is. I saw what I saw and it looked like this. And you're not trying to proclaim, listen, you, I'm not trying to proclaim, I don't think any poet's trying to proclaim like the truth out there, but this is what I saw from my position, my experience, and this is what it felt like. And here it is. And I think there's a kind of a call and response thing with that. Like you put it out there, I think, so people can respond to it. Like, oh, I saw this and it looks like this. Uh, there's something about if we use our voices in this way and poetry seems to cut through in this different way. It's more like music for me, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it can elicit others to respond and tap into, well, what's my experience? What's my voice? What have I seen? And I think we're just in this world where everyone's just being squashed down all the time and told to shut up or it's going to be really dangerous. And it is dangerous to speak out. It mm-hmm. totally is. Yes, it but is. But I feel like yes, as poets, we've got to do it. We've spent all this time with language and voice. Like this is, we give our lives to it in lots of ways. So I feel like we've got to be doing that. I think I think it keeps everything real and human and you know, it's interesting because when Stalin, I think his first purge, was he rounded up mm-hmm. the poets? That was the first bunch of people he locked up. Oh, like, wow. There you go. Yeah, that tells you everything wow. right there, you know? Yes, it mm-hmm. does. It does. Well, let's yep. take a brief break and yep. we'll be right back. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We are back. I am here with Nikki Tom. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, world. <laughs> to Nikki Talk. Hello. All right. Okay. After you have an opportunity to finish your book, all right, then kind of process mm-hmm. it and all those things, what did you learn yep. about yourself writing your book? What did you learn about yourself writing your book? Mm-hmm. I think... I learned I was capable of being truer and more skilled at being true than I thought. I think I was, Mm. I had to move through, you know, the the self-sabotaging 
oh, this isn't very good, oh, this isn't, you know, all that kind of critical self-talk and just endure and keep going. And I I think the fact Mm -hmm. that I got to the end (laughs) and I was, I felt like the poems were the most themselves, I could make them, and that Mm -hmm. other people thought they were too and published them, that I thought, oh, okay, mental note to self, follow your integrity and hang in there. And that was what I learned, I think from this and pass on to anyone else out there hang in there Mm -hmm. keep writing oh wow you know yeah yeah that's fantastic what's Mm. the do you think that you were meant to be a poet i think i was i think i i still remember the first poem i wrote when i was five weirdly i've forgotten all the other ones but i the first one i ever wrote Mm -hmm. was really sad it's really short and it's very silly but i at the time I, it was really meaningful to me i remember it was um high stepping horses walking along a mm-hmm. big fat row one went away and thought he would go and he fell into a rabbit hole and it started to rain and i remember i cried after i wrote it and i just felt like i tapped into something really important and i think from then on i just wrote poetry all the time Wow. What surprises you most about being a poet? Um, I think the words keep surprising me. The way they just turn up in these really interesting and odd arrangements when I go to write. So that I feel like the poems themselves are always teaching me new things that language can do. And they mm-hmm. just, yeah, they, they teach me a lot about the way forwards and and they'll arrange themselves in little ways they'll juxtapose themselves that'll make me feel and hear something completely differently and so I think that mm-hmm. the words themselves yeah surprise me a lot yeah all right you know they say Nikki that to see the mm-hmm. world with complete honesty one should look the comedians yep. artists musicians and poets what do you think mm-hmm. emerges naturally from your work what comes from you? Oh. I think um, probably a lot of pain, I think. Okay, all right. <laughs> Honestly, hey, I think I, pain and beauty. I understand pain, yes. <laughs> I know it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I think it's, maybe it's, you know, I don't know what you find about this with your work, but I, I wonder if it's the Stuff that we're not allowed to say in public that mm. comes out in the poem. That's what I wonder. Is the stuff that, which can also be big feelings of joy and all that kind of stuff, but I, I kind of feel like there's this really narrow band of stuff that we, it's okay to say and do and show when we're kind of out. <laughs> and mm-hmm, then the mm-hmm. poetry is all the, all the stuff that's really going on. So, I guess whatever it is that we feel we need to give voice to. Well, in that same vein, (laughs) in that same vein, then is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's for me. It's letting my guard down Mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what's scary too. Like the Mm -hmm. Georgia poems that I read. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they, wow. you know, 
I write poetry. I scare myself when I write poetry. So. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, honestly, as the listener, and I'm sure as the reader, the fact that you were so vulnerable to share your world with the world, I think, mm-hmm. is so powerful and so important. Oh, and I commend you, one hundred percent. Thank you. One hundred percent. Now, oh, you if so you much. had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what mm-hmm. would you say? Um, well, I would say support small presses because they're our ecosystem right. of the human imagination. Um, so I would put in a plug for it. Um, I think I would just, because um, I have been asking, so some colleagues I haven't asked to read it because I think it would freak them out. But um, uh, people I've, I've shared it with, I've wanted them to have a sense of um, the language and the world. And I think it speaks, I think the book is about something that honestly, you know, child sexual assault is every, every nine minutes in this country, a child mm. is assaulted sexually. I mean, it's, it's horrendous. Mm. The stats are horrendous. And I yes. feel that there's a way of addressing that in this book that because a lot of the poems, are, I mean, one of the poems is a um, it was a secretly taped conversation with a state prosecutor that I turned into a poem. So every mm-hmm. line in it is something that was said by the system. So there's a lot of, um, some of it's almost a bit documentary-like, like pulling actual mm-hmm. things. And I think it mm-hmm. reminds people in a, in a form that I think people can take it because it's also really imaginative and it slowly sets things up to start thinking about what it is when someone's body is violated and what yes. that means and what the aftermath is and the, the deep psychic wounds, the psychic tearing and rupture that happens and what happens within the wider circle of a, of a family, you know, and, um, and how many people are hurt by that. So I, I feel like the issue is something I am very, very, very passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is, I'm hopeful that this is, an, another voice in that conversation to help people think about things um, as they should personally, but mitigating that somehow so they're not getting it as this really horrible, re-traumatizing news report or whatever, but that it can mm-hmm. um, embed it in a more imaginative context, even though some of the poems are very more sort of real. But mm-hmm. yeah, what I like about your work. Mm-hmm. That is not so esoteric that you can't understand it. How oh, important <laughs> is accessibility? <laughs> I'm serious. I was I was <laughs> hooked on every word. How important is accessibility of meaning? And the question is, should one have to work hard to solve a poem? Ooh, I kind of feel like, and I, I mean, maybe because yeah, I've directed Gertrude Stein's tender buttons in New York. So I spent two years with her work and that I'm going to use her to, to answer this in a way because her stuff mm-hmm. on one level, just make, when I was given that gig and they said, okay, you have to present the whole poem theatrically, but you can't change anything about the poem. It's got to just run like the poem. And I'm like, yikes. So, but by the end of sitting with it and putting it in breath and bodies and on stage, I thought this makes total sense. And my kids came to see it. And they were like 12 at the time or something like that. And they were like, we totally get this. And people were saying to me, 
weirdly this makes sense. I was like, it does. But no one could quite explain what it was. But, I mean, mm-hmm. Stein said if you enjoyed it, you understood it. Like, that's what she used to say. And I think there's this way poetry operates, I think I said, a little bit like music, so that you mm-hmm. other I think it's other parts of your brain, like your right brain or something, are tapped into. So even if you couldn't sit down and articulate with analytical words what it was like about per se, there's a whole part of you that resonates with it on some level. And it, so it's maybe the dream level or something. So I, I have great belief in that aspect of poetry. And I listen to people read poetry in languages that I don't know. Um, and I feel really profoundly affected by them. And I, so I think it's that musical mm-hmm. element. I mm-hmm. I have to say my poetry that I don't enjoy is highly intellectual one yes. where it, I don't know, I, where I feel it's like the classic guy, you know, white guy in the turtleneck, mm-hmm. black turtleneck at the poetry and going, yeah, mm-hmm. and hey, here's my poem. You know, there's, there's that sort of poetry which sounds really kind of bad, that's a turtle for me because it just makes me feel less sad for some reason. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know that guy I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, I do. Oh, you know that guy? The poet boy. Poet boy. Oh. Oh. Well, let me ask you a question. So, Does knowing that your poems are published and out there validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system? I think having them published was unbelievably validating because I think especially because this collection is so vulnerable and it mm-hmm. felt a little bit like walking out in the nudsy noodsies in the middle of, you know, Fifth Avenue going, okay, everyone, have a look and rate me, you know, mm-hmm. and it it felt a bit like that. And to have the press, like James and Jared at Driftwood Press have been so gracious and so so incredibly encouraging and just mm-hmm. they really get it and I think even more than the publication it was it was them going oh my goodness we resonate with this we want to bring this out to the world and I think that validated because I realized oh yes this urge that I feel like this is for not just my own self-expression but this is mm-hmm. to meet people out there and to become a part of their lives I think that made me feel really validated in terms of that impulse because um, I realized that you asked earlier, you know, do you write for a reader? And I think, you know, I do. I I would be writing poetry and I have, believe me, I've been, you know, it, you know there's that part of it that's not about whether it gets published or not, but when it does and people mm-hmm. sort of gel with it, it's, yes. it's a really, really incredible feeling of community. I just feel like I've found new family that I haven't met or something like it's, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not floating out there in the ether as this lone little weird person. You know, I have a tribe and we're together and we're all fighting the humanity of the world together. So, yes, that's a really long answer, but there you go. That's what you get when you ask me questions. Right. Good questions like Beautiful. That. <laughs> and I want to say, when you mention Billie Holiday's song, Strange Fruit, I was yeah. floored. Absolutely oh. floored. I really was. Wow. Yeah. That. Yeah. I think your work is sublime. Absolutely oh. sublime. Oh, 
Now, thank you so much. <laughs> and, well, we we're running out of time, of course. But I, I want I you to share. <laughs> I want you to share two <laughs> more poems for us, please. Share two more. Sure. That would make me two happy, more. and okay. the audience happy. Okay. Yes. Alrighty. Well, I might. Let me just look at the little ones. Oh, I'll read you the one about Gertrude. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'll. Hmm, okay. Yes. I'll read you. They're not they're not the happiest ones, but they do give you a little That's okay. sense of the other one. Okay. One's about Gertrude. So a little bit of background for people who aren't up to speed on their Hamlet, which is fine. <laughs> but Gertrude mm-hmm. is Hamlet's mum. And when Ophelia dies, we don't see that. That happens off stage and the only person who knows what happened was Gertrude, was Hamlet's mum, and she rushes in and says, Oh my goodness. This is how it happened. And she gives this blow-by-blow detailed account. And as I was deep diving into Hamlet, I was thinking, how did she know? How did she know how Ophelia died? And was she there? Did she push her? Did she not rescue her? Like, what happened? And that echoed a lot um, the mother in the story who feels like she wasn't able to protect or blames herself for what happened to the daughter So there felt like this weird connection. So anyway, this is about Gertrude. Gertrude was a false mother. Gertrude ribbed in blue, fleek, ship of war, girl plunderer. She will not forget it was you, oh, you, the maid who made him mad. Her son's stockings at his ankles, his eyes glazed and wary, his kisses pained and bloodthirsty. He brought ghosts into his mother's bed. She watched while they stole your shoes. Your voice hung on metal pins, dangling tunes of cock and maidens and rue. Half rasped, hey nonny nonny, she rang the bell. She locked her eyes. The door was open. The sky bent close. The wind was right. The grass was wet. The birds said the moon had gone. She failed to pull loudly at your dress. She should have pulled loudly at your dress, louder than the willow. Come down, come home, dinner is on the table. The bed turned, bath full and hot. Climb into my lap, my dear child. Abhor the willow, the winding sheet of long purples. Gertrude, ribbed in blue, watched from the hedgerow. Set the hounds at your heels, the troll under the bridge. Mm. The end. Wow. Wow. So that's Gertrude. Yes. Okay. All right. And then this one is um, written from the Little O series. The investigation is closed, said the police. I'm a smart person, said the prosecutor. I don't have time, said the big white gruff voice that wore a gun at his hip and a pen in his chest. So I argued with the prosecutor. That is what mothers do. But what about the nightmares? All children have nightmares, he said. Do you have a recipe for this then, I inquired, most politely. The anger prickling ants hot under the skin. I will not stoop so low as to make my voice like him, this big, gruff, white, angry voice. Do not tempt him to loosen the gun at his hip to put his hand down there. I asked so nicely, 
so like a nice young mother, so nice, so please, sir, if it's no bother, so if I can spare two minutes of your time, you're busy, busy, so many important matters to attend to, reports to make, files to find, guns to polish, nice rich white boys to streets to patrol, skins to find, phone calls to make. Do you have a recipe for this? How to stop her charging across a busy road when she sees a boy? How to stop her avoiding children? How not to dream awake? How not to hear voices? How to not hold knives at her chest? How to not throw off the covers and run through the house and play the piano all loud and crash jangle when the smaller ones sleep and the moon is up and I can't remember? And how not to sit up and sing over and over with eyes closed and voice the dusty chant of dream when he raped me, when he put his here, then, over, 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 over. He's a busy, busy man. There is a lot of work for gruff white men with guns to do. All children have nightmares, he said. Mm. The end. Wow. Wow. <laughs> let me let me sit here for a second. I need to sit for a second, just yeah. for a second. Yeah, you sit for a just second. For a second. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Mhm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sadly, Nikki, we've reached the end of our poetic journey together. Oh, I'm really sad. I'm so <laughs> I really sad. am. <laughs> I knew we'd go over when we spoke a few moments before we. Uh, I thought. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Where can listeners find O and and your other work as well? Where can they find your work? Sure, they can find my work if they go to Driftwood Press. So D R I S T W O O D Press dot com. They can find um, my book there. O and um. I would encourage them to buy it and also just to support Driftwood Press, which are an amazing little press. They do beautiful work. So there's a mm. bunch of other really cool books there to get to. And um, oh. yeah, that's where I would go. <laughs> okay. How how can listeners stay in touch? Yes, they can go to my website and send me an email. And my website is www.nikitulk.com and you can go there and find out a bit more about the other stuff I do and send me an email if you want to play, talk, ask questions absolutely I'm all about the back Mm. and forth conversation as you've heard tonight so yes, be in touch All right. what's next for you? where do you go from here? Well, I am working on another book. I spent two years living um, out in Allegheny County, which is in the wild west of western New York State. And um, Mm -hmm. it was a really crazy place. And I was surrounded by semi-automatic gunfire often. There was shrines to a certain president all over the place. There was a lot of stuff that went down and I felt like um, there's a lot I'm processing from that. There was a lot of really interesting people, really interesting stories and stuff going on with the land. So I'm actually working on a book of poems about that experience of living there in that particular landscape. And um, it's at the moment called Lot's Wife. So Wow. 
Lux life. Stay tuned. Wow. Lux life. Yeah. So that looking back and turning to salt and all sorts of things. <laughs> In elegance. <Yeah. laughs> all right. You know, I'm kind of glad that I kind of flubbed up in the beginning because nothing's perfect. Life is not perfect, but we keep moving like we did tonight. We continue on with our journey, and it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. You know, to me, you are a poetic star on the horizon. Oh, oh, coming from you, that is really, really so generous and kind. Thank you so much. It really has been an honor to talk with you. <laughs> well, I try not to lie. You are. You but, are. It's oh. just... <laughs> you are. I don't know what oh, else to well. say. <laughs> you, you. You're I'm fantastic. Taking, I'm taking those words. I am taking those words. I'm, I'm receiving those words. All right. You. Thank you, yes. sir. Yes. Accept them, yes. Absolutely. All right, good people. <laughs> We've come yeah. to the end. Nikki Talk, her new book is Oh, Driftwood Press. Wow. Wow. I'm just going to say goodbye. Uh, <laughs> and as oh, I yeah. share every week, <laughs> as I share yeah. every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, everybody, mm. and be safe. All Amen. right. Bye, Nikki. Amen. Bye. Thank you. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Great. Thank you. (laughs) 